the babe of Bethlehem who fights for us against all evil. And uh, we hear his gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter, beginning at verse 24. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer's near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's already begun, and I don't think I need to remind you, crowded calendars are getting fuller by the hour for many of us. And based on the comments I've heard around this place and when I've seen some of you out and about shopping, it seems that many of you feel that you're now in a hurried sprint to the finish line that is Christmas morning. You've got your list of things to do, and so do Kirsten and I. You've got the holiday parties to host, to attend, and those certain parties where you try to come up with a believable reason not to participate You have the gifts to be purchased for family and co-workers, for our students, final papers, exams to be taken. And Kirsten and I thought we were so far ahead of the power curve, we decided to be so 21st century and did the bulk of our shopping online. We were so thrilled when the boxes from the company that shall not be named, Duluth Trading Company, (laughs) arrived. There were things in those boxes we did not order. There were things we ordered that were not in the boxes, and things in the box were the wrong size. So back to the drawing board. We're a busy bunch of people. We've got a lot of things to do these next two weeks before Christmas. And in the midst of all the rushing, the errands, the shopping, the office parties, the studying for finals, Jesus tells us something. That's Jesus speaking in the gospel, by the way. Jesus says something that should always be top of the list. Keep awake. Keep awake. Church of mine. People of mine. You don't want to miss what God is doing. Keep awake. Because a sleepy Christian like a sleepy church simply can't be ready for the coming of the Lord. Yes, Advent is all about the getting ready. And just as we prepare homes and sanctuaries with beautiful lights and holiday decorations, 
God wants us to do some spiritual preparation for the coming of the Son. Advent, when you think about it, is really a dress rehearsal for that promised day when Christ will come again. Our Advent vision is bifocal. We look to his first coming remembering the second promised appearance. Every Christmas we celebrate Mary's boy, the babe of Bethlehem. But every Advent, every Christmas is a reminder that this babe is now King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and will come again surely to judge the living and the dead. So we keep awake. We prepare. I said it this morning at 8 o'clock. I'll say it again at this 9.30 hour. I know that for Ruth and for Helen, the way in which any musical ensemble rehearses and prepares for Sunday morning will have a lot to do with how the musical offering will go during worship. I don't know if they know this or not, but I've heard their voices through my years of ministry here, coming from the music room downstairs, through the floor, into my office. No, 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 let's try that again. (laughs) And I've heard it out here when Ruth has been rehearsing with our bell choir. That's their job. Let's get it right, because we want to do it with excellence to the glory of God come Sunday morning. Those of you with experience in our armed forces know this. Yeah, the mindless drilling, all the practicing over and over, the military exercise, that's in preparation for the real thing. No soldier, sailor, airman, or marine should be ill-prepared for the real thing because when the real thing comes, it's a matter of life and death. So how do Christians prepare? How do Christians keep awake for the coming of the Lord? How do we avoid being a sleepy church that isn't alert for the coming of the Son of Man? First of all, let's remember something. Jesus tells us clearly, no one knows that day or hour. The angels don't know. The Son doesn't know, only the Father. And some would think because of this unknown factor, we can just coast. But you see, the opposite is true. We don't know when. It could be today. It could be before this sermon is finished. And some of you would say, hallelujah. It could be tomorrow, it could be next year, it could be a hundred, a thousand years from now. We don't know. But this lack of precise knowledge is not cause for spiritual apathy, disregard, or laziness on our part. Jesus tells us, be ready at all times. Keep alert. You don't know when the time will come. Stay awake. I don't want to find you asleep. So these words of Christ are not about uh, never putting your head on a pillow. This is not about sleep deprivation, nor is it about fear-mongering that, you know, Christ could come tonight, so don't you sleep. You need to be fearful. You need to stay awake, dreading that hour. It's not it. It's about living faithfully in each new day, which is a gift, seeking to do our best to live faithfully in every present moment, for at any present moment the trumpet may sound, and Jesus will come with his angels. A Christian who is ready, a fully alert believer, a disciple who is not asleep at the wheel, has some characteristics, has some understanding of the kingdom and its values and how we should be alert at all times and joyfully anticipate the coming of Christ. And these concepts that are ours as a Christian community are not just ideas, but they spill over into our life and our way of being. First of all, a Christian lives... Uh, with a sense of opulence, God's opulent 
unbounded, immeasurable grace. Because after all, he loves a sinner like you and he loves a sinner like me. That's amazing grace. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in every way we have been enriched in him. And he's not talking silver or gold. He's talking about something far more precious, and that is the blood of Christ crucified. So a Christian lives in a sense of wonder. Because God's love is so immense. God's grace is so amazing. God's mercy is so complete and perfect. Yes, even in times of great personal difficulty and loss, a Christian knows that God is here, God is with me, his name is Emmanuel, and he won't abandon me. And when the world, with its ways, devalues you, you have a dignity and a value that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. You've been marked with the cross of Christ. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. A Christian knows he's forgiven. And that means that we as Christians can finally let go of the past, and I know some of you are hanging on to it, with all of its pain and all of its shame and all of its embarrassment. Well, God wants you to let go of it because of his great love for you and his opulent grace, your Father in heaven doesn't want you chained to your past because there is spiritual slavery in that that will keep you from becoming everything your Father in heaven wants you to be. Your Father in heaven wants you free and declares you to be free, just like that mighty, powerful anthem we just heard. He's come to fight for you, to free you. So a Christian can live in times like these with a sense of abundant grace and opulent love. Or a Christian, a church of Christians, can go from day to day in a spirit of scarcity. And when any congregation, when any church family worships a false god of scarcity, of limited grace, of finite mercy, then there will only be so much love to go around, so much generosity but a church that understands the wideness of God's grace and the power of God's mercy will cherish every moment in which to serve, to love, to welcome a stranger, to show mercy to someone brokenhearted. And that leads us to our sense of opportunity. We keep awake. We stay active. We roll up our sleeves. We do kingdom work. Because we get to do that for Christ's sake and to the glory of his name. Jesus is not a new law. He came to fulfill the law and set us free. We do good works not to earn a place in heaven, but to glorify our Father that others might see those works and bring greater glory to him. There are so many, and you know this, who are hurting, searching, hoping, yearning. People who are just lost. And a sleepy church cares more about itself and self-preservation than reaching out to those lonely, hurting people. A sleepy Christian is dulled to opportunities for touching the lives of those around him. A church that keeps awake seizes every moment, every opportunity for leading someone to Christ who has yet to meet him. And I want to say this, and I think I've earned the right to say it because I've watched a major shift in church culture over the four decades in which I've been a pastor. 
Too many congregations these days are filled with immature Christians who think that the job of a congregation is to hire a preacher who's just like honey. And by that sweetness of the preacher's personality to attract more bees to the hive, which is their sanctuary. And if the hive is not full, well, then the honey's stale. And we need to get a new batch. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. No pastor is good enough or sweet enough to attract lost souls to Jesus or to keep people engaged in the life of a congregation. It is the sweet love of God and the aroma of grace at work in you that will attract hurting people to the church. And that's not a building and it's not an institution. It's real people loving God and loving one another. It's you who will lead people to Christ because when folks see the love of God at work in you, they can't help be attracted to it. It's that simple. And in the process, when folks are attracted to the aroma of grace that comes forth from you, they're really being attracted to Jesus himself. And that's what it's all about. And those who stay awake, those who keep alert, have this uh, attitude of optimism. Now, I know that in the world... Optimism is usually thought of as an attitude, something that we possess by a sheer act of determination, an, an act of the autonomous self. Optimistic people always put the best spin on things. They know that everything is going to turn out right. If they just believe it hard enough, they accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and just stay positive. That's one kind of optimism, and it ain't bad. But Christian optimism does not depend on human attitude or a simple act of the human will. It's an act of God's will, our optimism. It's grounded in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. We can be optimistic because death has been stomped underfoot and defeated. We can be optimistic because the future is in God's hands no matter what. Our attitude toward tomorrow, toward today, is hopeful, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And so we can look forward to the coming of Christ with joy and hope, not dread, not fear. Millions of dollars continue to be made these days by those who prey on human fear, those who pray and take advantage of human ignorance when it comes to Christ's promised second coming. There are people who speculate, calculate, manipulate, And it's very profitable in our culture. Listen to what Jesus said. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I'm he, and they'll deceive. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. There'll be earthquakes in various places. That's just the beginning of the birth pains. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, look, there he is, don't believe it. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. We have some church members who think that they know that Christ's coming is imminent because the Cubs won the World Series and Army finally beat Navy. (laughs) The end must surely be near. Not yet. But it could be tonight. But not because of the Cubs or the cadets at West Point. God will surely gather his people And those who keep awake and serve the Lord have nothing to fear. 
when Jesus comes again. Two weeks remain till Christmas. Kirsten and I have got some more work to do. We've got to get on the phone with that company that, did I mention it? You'll be busy with many things between now and then as well. In the midst of it all, please remember who you are. Beloved child of God, cross-marked, spirit-sealed. Remember his opulent mercy and the opportunities God gives you every week to share his love and the optimism that is ours. Yes, even when the sun is darkened and the moon no longer gives its light. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.